Hello, and welcome to the On Your Left podcast, the politics podcast that's probably to your left. My name is Katrina Ames, and I use she, them pronouns. And I'm Nirali Shat. I use she, her pronouns. We are in your podcast feeds every Wednesday night, so be sure to hit follow and share it with your friends. So on Thursdays, you can, like, discuss the podcast and stuff. It would be a great time. Hit follow. Do it. Now. And if you want another way to support us, you can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash onyourleftpod or our bookshop.org shop. We have, we are really good at book recommendations, so yeah, not to brag, but. No, I, I was a bookseller and you read more books than I do. So yeah, we, between the two of us, like we got you for book recommendations if you're in a reading slump, like I have been for the last three months, we can we can give you a book that you might like. I'm out of the reading slump, by the way. I finished Ooh, a book. I finished Persuasion. Nice. Ah, Jane mm-hmm. Austen's great. But there's no limit to how much you can read if you go to our bookshop.org page, which is bookshop.org slash shop slash on your left pod. So today's not exactly going to be a lighter episode, but it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, instead of talking about policy, we're going to talk about how politics have intersected with our lives and how we became so political because, you know, it's a week before the election. Both of us voted. Mm-hmm. We've, you know, made calls, we've text banked it, we've wrote postcards, we've maybe even knocked doors before the pandemic. We've, I'm definitely going into this election knowing I've done everything I can. And I just want to, like, relax for a little bit. Yeah, just, like, a moment of peace before um, we know the results. Because next week's episode is going to come out after we know something. Yeah. We don't. We may not know who's going to win, but we're going to know something. I'll, I'll definitely know some things. Um, we are going to be changed but- people a week from when this episode comes out. So today, we're just going to talk about, like, how, when, and why we got into politics personally, because it is somewhat unusual for most people to be as invested in politics the way that we are, and also paying attention to uh, local and state politics while discussing national politics and policies. I've actually uh, made videos about um, one of my first one of the first things that got me into politics and Katrina, I think you can relate that like one of the like first books that like really got me into reading and also got me into politics was Harry Potter, um, which um, we don't want to support Harry Potter anymore for a lot of reasons, including the fact that JK Rowling doesn't think trans people are like people who deserve rights and is actively working against them. However, I can't deny its impact on my life. Um, And uh, it was one of my first introductions to politics because it's... Okay, Train, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was one of my first introductions into politics and, like, how... um, kids could get involved in politics and how politics impacts children directly. Um, There are 
school policies that are created by the ministry that isn't involved with the school or like they're trying to run the school in a certain way to uh, pursue a certain agenda in Harry Potter. And those are things that very directly correlate to our lives. Um, So that was like one of my first introductions into politics. And then like I could relate what was going on around me to that story that I fully understood because obviously politics is a lot more complicated than what's in a children's story, but I could still relate it and understand it. I've always been someone that um, has read banned books, either banned by um, or challenged by my public schools or local libraries or by my parents. I uh, wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter growing up because of, you know, witchcraft and evil or whatever. (laughs) Um, So I just snuck the books home from the library (laughs) and didn't tell my blind mother. (laughs) And then my dad, when we visited him over the summers, he would take us to the movies. Mm -hmm. And at the end, after we went to the movies, uh, about once a week, we saw a different movie with him every week that was um, appropriate for the whole family. So it was based on... uh, my brother, who's five years younger than me, if it was appropriate for him to watch the movie, what we went to. Mm-hmm. And my dad decided, you know, Harry Potter seems like a family movie. It's like PG-13, but he can handle it. If it's scary, it's scary. Well, I'll just sit out, take him to the hallway. Yeah, it's like, it's like, for no, not like it's PG-13 for like adult relationships or anything. It's PG-13 because scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my little brothers were both really into it, so mm-hmm. it wasn't worrying. But, um... After the movie ended, we would do a campfire. It was a nice summer thing. It was a family campfire. And my dad would explain to us the moral of the story after every single movie we watched. Oh. And every every week, every single week, my dad said, the moral of the story that is if good people do nothing, bad people win. Every single week. And I was like, Dad, that is not a complete literary analysis of this story. Do we want to talk about, like, the fascism? <laughs> Do we want to talk about, like, the clear, like, race relations that were happening between Muggleborns and Purebloods and how, like, the systems of oppression? Or do we want to talk about, like, the literal slavery? Mm-hmm. And I was like, could people have to do something every single week? <laughs> but, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's, he's not wrong. Not wrong. But, yeah, maybe not the only thing to get out of those stories. <laughs> but it was it was every single not just the Harry Potter movies every single movie. <laughs> I mean, a story in order to be a story it has to have action, and it has to have like a protagonist who acts. So I mean, yeah, I guess that's the lesson of every story. I I just, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. Like Harry Potter made me think like damn, no one should have to live in the closet. We should fight for gay rights. And like, wow, these women are so much better than this boring pale jock and should really be acknowledged for their work. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, just dude's gotta do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, people's, uh. people have to do something, otherwise evil wins. Um... <laughs> But also, like, what it, th- I think what Harry Potter pretty explicitly does is tell you what needs to be done in order to counteract fascism. Yeah. 
Like, like there's there's so many things. Yeah. Including when the author is being that. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I am um I am fairly involved with the Harry Potter Alliance, which is a nonprofit that uh promotes fandom activism because we do learn things from the stories we read mm-hmm. and we can also learn how to act on them in real life. Like getting panels from journalists about media literacy because you should know that. Uh and that's that's been a great experience of mine through them. Yeah. Um so uh another piece of media that I kinda wanna talk about, it's like so there are like two things from like my angsty middle school era um like early teens era that like still stick with me as like things that definitely contributed to me being super political today um and those two things are the band green day and the colbert report because um honestly the colbert report is how i started watching news every single day after school comedy central or something would run a rerun of the night before's colbert report and i would sit and watch it And that's how I, well, first, like, it was funny. It was first funny, which is what made me sit and want to watch it. And then I realized that I was understanding what was happening in the world through this satirical commentator. Um, And then I would, like, listen to Green Day, which was all about how George Bush is, like, running a war that is useless and pointless and all that stuff. And I was like, these are two pieces of media that like are helping me understand the world in a way while criticizing the world. It's not just giving me news. It's giving me like ways to analyze the news and ways to understand the news, which I think really helped me under, like if I would then watch CNN, I would like understand what was happening and um, have a way to analyze it which I think a lot of people don't have. Um, And I think that made me really, yeah, it just like got me, both of those things got me super into politics. And it also forced me to like have opinions on politics and news and the things going on in the world Um, where like, I don't know anyone who is at war right now. Like why, why would I just like this, kid this like high school or middle school kid care about like this war going on in Iraq otherwise you know so yeah yeah I feel like those two things that's really Mm -hmm. great um like I definitely didn't get more into those things until like high school Mm -hmm. oh when I when I started being involved, but, like, I definitely found a way in through comedy as well, and through, like, I remember in my ninth grade history class, my teacher uh, would just put up, right before the 2008 election, mm-hmm. ninth grade, my my teacher would just put up SNL clips, and he was like, I kind of yeah. finished the lesson plan for the day, we got, like, ten minutes this is the last class of the day, so we're just gonna we're gonna watch some SNL. I'm gonna play it on YouTube for all of us. 
and we're just gonna relax. You know what? That's what it was. That's part of it for me too. Because yeah, I was in eighth grade when um, Tina Fey was being Sarah Palin on SNL, and it was everywhere. Oh yeah, and that was like everyone was talking about it. Even if it was, even mm-hmm. if they didn't care about politics, they were like, "Look how funny this is," and that was a way in for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Gosh, I forgot about 2008 SNL and how much it, like, informed the way I look at the world. It, like, definitely gave me space to, like, figure things out Mm -hmm. in a time when I didn't have any adults that, like, cared about what I thought uh, at that time in my life. Or, like, thought that I should even have a political Mm -hmm. opinion or should try to understand what's going on yeah so that like little bit of like space just to watch something funny that was political Mm -hmm. moved me forward by leaps and bounds yeah yeah another thing i used to do around that time i'm just now remembering is like we would get time magazine to our house we had like a subscription to time magazine and i would go i would read it through from back to front because the back would be the fun stuff which would get me into the magazine. And then I'd like page through and find stories that I really liked that were actually interesting. And that's the thing I did. Wow, I was such a nerd. You were. I was such a nerd. We would have been such good friends. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's well, a th- I, guess also- I can't believe that's a thing I used to do. I would read the magazine. <laughs> I would read the full magazine. <laughs> I think I was reading Seventeen magazine, like front to back. Then you know what? Valid. That's about it. Valid. Yeah. Look, I learned how to fashion in ways that I couldn't afford yet. <laughs> I learned how to do my makeup, which I no longer do regularly. <laughs> and I learned that teen pregnancy was scary. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing to learn. Um. Oh my god, now I'm... They were real clear on that. Do you, like, do you remember the, like, utter crap that was on TV when we were growing up? Like, all of the teen mom shows, and, like, oh my god. Just, like, yeah, horrible mid-2000s reality TV. Like, mid-to-late-2000s reality TV was so bad. It was so... weird? Yeah. The Jersey Shore happened when we were in high school. And, like, the worst part was my math teacher had to explain to me what Jersey Shore was because I was very uncool. And he was like, so this is so this is what's going on. So these kids in Jersey are partying all the time. And I was like, that's it? And he was like, that's the show. Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't just partying. Come on, Katrina. It was gym tan and laundry. GTL. That's what they would do every day. <laughs> This is how you know I grew up well, in New Jersey. Yeah, let's keep in mind that also my middle-aged math teacher explained the show to me. <laughs> That's how unpopular I was. He was making fun of it in class, and I was like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, no, everyone... Like, I refused to watch the Jersey Shore, because I was like, I cannot deal with this. But um, I grew up in New Jersey. Everyone watched the Jersey Shore. <laughs> I I remember their names. I remember that they weren't from New Jersey. I remember so much about them. But like, yeah, it's not like we were such utter nerds that we weren't like enjoying our lives. 
because we were but also we were i just had other stuff going on but also we were just such nerds (laughs) we were nerds um like especially i didn't have a cell phone when i was in high school Mm -hmm. um between 10th and 12th grade uh, my phone got stolen and we couldn't afford to get it replaced Mm -hmm. so like i didn't make plans with people i went to school Mm -hmm. i went to my local uh library and I went to my, like, local church. <laughs> but to be fair, that also, like, helped me figure out who I am. Because I participated in a lot of, like, faith-based activism in high school. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I would do sock drives for the homeless uh, with my youth group. Because socks are the most requested item at homeless shelters. Oh, wow. And I want people's feet to be warm. I want them to be cozy. I'm like... That was a very real thing that I was capable of doing at 14 mm-hmm. and 15 to make a difference in someone's, like, life yeah. and help an institutional problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, like, give what money I had uh, to, like, help with the world water crisis because, uh, you know, the world, people deserve to have access to clean water. It's a humanitarian need. It was also something very easy for me to understand in high school, but that was also something I got through in uh, church, Mm -hmm. or, like, me and my friends would, like, clean up litter to help protect the environment, because we believed that, you know, God made the world and left it to us to protect and to, like, take care of and make nice, and then humans did a terrible job at it, and we just found a bunch of half-drunk liquor bottles and used condoms on my high school grounds gross like come on i just ew there were so so many problems with all of that first of all i there there had i li- i there had to be a better place anywhere else anywhere else oh man <laughs> but like I wasn't, so I wasn't, like, a nerd in high school, but, like, I was also doing things because I wanted to make the world a better place, and, uh, I do think that in the ways I did what I was, like, capable of doing, Mm -hmm. and, like, I also was hanging out with my friends, like, going to coffee shops and then ordering soda because I didn't like coffee yet, (laughs) and, like, play, learning to play guitar badly and, like, watching YouTube videos, you know? Oh my god, wait, you can play guitar? Oh, I don't even have my guitar in this apartment. It's at my mom's house. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know um, four whole chords, and I may have forgotten them by now. I haven't practiced <laughs> in at least a year. Well, hey, power chords. Every every song just does four chords. Every pop song just yeah. has four chords. Um, yeah, but that's speaking- why I learned them. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of YouTube videos, like we met through Nerdfighteria, and like. Oh, yeah. Nerdfighteria, it, like, I discovered that in high school. I discovered the Vlogbrothers in high school, and that really, was, like, that community and the fact that it was based in doing good really <coughs> um, did a lot for me, I think, and really did a lot for the way I view the world and the way I try mm-hmm. to be... I try not to be pessimistic because, like, I see a community doing good constantly. 
Yeah, I think like definitely projects and things like the project for Awesome really pulled me mm-hmm. more into not only being able to do good in like tangible ways, like you know picking up litter yeah. or giving socks to people who are homeless, but also being able to advocate for things and learning how to speak my mind using available research mm-hmm. and my own beliefs to make an argument for why we need to do more to help people. Yeah. Like, for two white guys, they really made me feel like I could have my own voice and I could speak my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I was just thinking about, like, how when you're younger and you have, like, all these volunteer opportunities and stuff to, like, help people, later in life you look back at that and, like, you realize you were helping, like... When you're doing it at that point, you don't realize how large the problem is, I don't think. But, like, when you look back at that now, you're like, at least I did something. Even though the problem is so big, you can still do something small to help out, to help just one person or a few people, and that's still something. Um, And that also helps your understanding of the problem itself because you have interacted with people who are affected by the problem like yeah yeah we used to do like by no means ready to tackle the affordable housing crisis yeah yeah um yeah i used to go i grew up in like a suburb of new york so like we used to go into the city and serve food to the homeless um do like this like Mm -hmm. outdoor soup kitchen thing um and like i had no understanding of like why there was such rampant homelessness in New York City or in, like, property values and stuff like that. But I still had enough understanding to help people. And that experience helped me understand what's happening right now from, like, a 2020 perspective of everything that's happening in the world. And, like, as I've grown up, you take that experience with you and apply it to your knowledge today. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really valuable that we got to have those experiences where mm-hmm. we could help other people at such a young age. Yeah. And be directly involved. Um, especially because a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to do direct action or maybe don't have the privilege to be able to give more because they don't have enough yet. Yeah. Um, and that's like, it's a great opportunity to be able to help other people and to have that level of like direct interaction with the problem and with people who are experiencing it Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i don't i don't know what else i was gonna say um (laughs) do you want to talk more Um, about youtube yeah let's talk a little bit more about youtube um so like i was we i started making youtube videos um, when I was in middle school, and then my parents made me stop because they thought adults would watch me on the internet, and that would be weird. Understandable. And to be fair, they they were absolutely right, and I was mad at them, but I waited until I was, like, 17, I was a senior in high school, and I was like, you know what, look, everybody I know has a Facebook profile, it's fine to go back on YouTube. If I had kept going in 2007, who knows where I would be now? Probably yeah. in about the same place. <laughs> um, but um 
then just a year or two later in the like youtube apocalypse of 2013 and 2014 Mm -hmm. um i became really grateful that my parents made me wait before getting so online and putting so much of my life online um because that was the year that we learned every like half of the people that were like making videos half of the men that i was like very interested in not on like a dating level because they were like 10 to 15 years older than me um but we learned that they're trash who groom young women yeah um i was a massive fan of one of them um and i was like shaken by like all of the (coughs) stuff that came out about him and the amount of girls that he made uncomfortable in some way or the other and yeah it was bad and you're frozen again yeah yep oh no oh no oh dear are you back? Um, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry, you kept freezing. Yeah. It's okay. Um, I was definitely disappointed by a lot of the men that I looked up to. Um, mm-hmm. I was also very concerned because I was, you know, 18, maybe 19 years old and was, like, talking to some of these older men because I thought, like, we were developing a friendship. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that they were having similar conversations with a bunch of other girls my age or younger and some of them ended up resulting in romantic relationships where there was a huge imbalance of power and i just felt gross and like creeped out and was lucky that it didn't happen to me yeah um yeah i think i got really lucky with the friends i made through Mm -hmm. nerdfighteria because like i just never felt like I never felt that level of discomfort and I'm yeah I'm just extremely lucky that like my YouTube experience didn't involve that but even just finding out that people I'm a massive fan of were doing these things and like this was what like the one I was a fan of was one of the biggest YouTubers in England and um was uh like got like what nearly a number one hit song in the uk like all right so i know who we're talking about now yeah yeah so like he was huge everyone knew him he was like in magazines and stuff at this point and to find out that he was like messaging people like me was horrifying and not just messaging to like become friends with but like preying on them yeah uh, let's let's just say these were explicit in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I remember that was also the year 2014. I went to the playlist live in the middle where accusations and allegations against people were still popping up online. Yeah. Um, a lot of guests at playlist live canceled. Mm-hmm. Like they were empty spots in programming because these men could no longer show their face in public yeah because they knew they had done terrible things yeah and like and uh, yeah god do you remember the christina horner stuff that like what she experienced god there there was so much and like that was like the first time we were directly impacted by Like, it was our community that was being directly impacted by 
men being horrible like this and all of it coming out. Yeah. It was, and it was like pre me too, like before any of this had reached mainstream. Yeah. Because like at that point I had been catcalled by like strangers yeah. or had had like creepy comments on my YouTube channel that I deleted and reported. Mm-hmm. But to have people I looked up to do something so terrible just really made me disappointed. But it also kind of forced me to focus politically on the importance of bodily autonomy and talk about consent on my YouTube channel and just um, completely dismantle the patriarchy and destroy all of rape culture. I'm working on that last one, but I think we can do it. (laughs) We can do it. Um, Yeah, I think it, like, yeah, that happened when we were, like, 18 or 19 years old. So, like, that really... Like, that's pretty young to, like, realize that, like, every, like, how dangerous it can be, you know? hmm Yeah. But, yeah, like, we, and how hard it can be to be female or present female online. hmm Oh, my God, was... when was the Anita Sarkeesian stuff? Sorry. Oh, God, <laughs> I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that was around. It was around then, the same or maybe like time. A year after it was around the same time because it was definitely when we were like in undergrad. Yeah. So like between all the men on YouTube being horrible and like Anita Sarkeesian being just completely, I don't even know, completely being made into a scapegoat of like what, how bad feminine feminists can be like yeah it just like made you realize how difficult it can be to be female and on the internet at all yeah yeah because at that point my audience was mostly people i knew in real life Mm -hmm. and like you know occasionally like i would make friends or occasionally strangers would be weird but like it was never that bad for me because i was so small same but Ugh, just seeing what other people went through just made me sick to my stomach. Yeah, and, like, yeah, and Gamergate was, like, proto-neo-Nazi, kind of. Like, proto-today's alt-right. So, see, like, we literally had front-row seats to all of that because we were so involved in internet culture. Yeah. I think in some ways it prepared us for what we're dealing with now. Yeah. But... I wish that being prepared didn't mean, you know, having to go through terrible things. I wish being prepared meant we knew how to stop it, but that didn't happen because there wasn't no. a way to stop it at that point. I I became very good for caring for survivors of violence. Mm-hmm. But I wish that I had learned how to prevent the violence instead of just learning how to clean up the aftermath. Yeah. And, like, I learned how to protect myself on the internet somewhat. But even then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's go way back in history now yeah. because I want to think about something I'm removed from. <laughs> um... So, like, 
9-11. What a time. Yeah. I would say this is like my first political memory, but I don't remember it actually being political when I was a kid. Because we were like six-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was six. Because it was 2001. <clears throat> I was, and I was born December 94. So like, yeah, I was six. Yeah. Yeah, we were both six. Mm-hmm. And like, I was homeschooled at the time, so the only thing I remember is thinking it was weird that my parents were watching the news. Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. Yeah. That was my only memory of that day, is thinking, God, it's so weird that my parents are watching the news for once. What's going on? Mm-hmm. But, like, they didn't let me watch with them. Yeah. They, they didn't want me to see it, and I found out, like, what was going on mm-hmm. after the fact, uh, after things were over. And that was weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a very different experience because mm-hmm. I'm in such close proximity to New York. Um, and my dad was on his way to work when, that, when it happened in New York City. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, very pretty different experience than of, like, I don't know if we went home early from school or not, but I remember like the tv being on in our living room and the news being on and like that image over and over again because there was footage of it happening just constantly playing and like yeah that was a (laughs) and then like all of a sudden we were putting american flags everywhere (laughs) because we're a brown family (laughs) we were like we are not that (laughs) yeah uh me and my siblings aren't particularly brown uh but my mother is Mm -hmm. however to my knowledge we didn't really have to deal with a lot of overt racism uh in my memory or anything like that yeah because my very brown mother is also a 411 blind woman Mm mm-hmm so she doesn't exactly strike fear in the hearts of others (laughs) she's uh infantilized by everyone yeah um, yeah, like, we didn't experience anything too overt, but, um, they're definitely, it, it was just so weird, because, like, there was this sense of the whole country coming together and all. There was that, but it was coming together against an enemy that, like, I don't know. It was just very bizarre. And it was like being six years old and like suddenly seeing our country going off to war is weird. And then suddenly uh, every Monday night on Fox uh, watching 24, (laughs) watching counterterrorism, which was like literally like United States propaganda. Um, Yeah. (laughs) like all of that happened at such a young age for us that like it it's almost normal for us that like we've been at war since then yeah like my i'm one of the youngest uh people in my family i have siblings that are like 20 years older than me Mm -hmm. and for them there's a very clear like before and after point yeah like of two entirely separate countries Mm mm-hmm 
But for me, a post-9-11 America is all I really know. Yeah. And I can see how we're still being impacted by it and how we're still, like, reacting to it in our politics 20 years later. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like... Yeah. It's just, like... I don't know. It... And then, like, later on, it was always strange to me that, like, people who didn't grow up around here were so heavily impacted by 9-11 because it was like, but you weren't here. You don't know what New York went through. You don't, you don't know. But, like, it was this sense that, like, America is one country and, like, we all need, everyone needs to rally around, um... And, like, all of that stuff. Like, but then, like, you also saw the absolute ridiculousness of politics at such an early age because of that. Because that was also freedom fries. Because the French weren't going to support the war. And, like, yeah, freedom fries really sticks in my mind. So does um, a bunch of patriotic songs, like American Idol doing that, that, like, proud to be an American song. And all of that stuff. I don't stuff. think we need to dis- bring American Idol into this at all. <laughs> I think it's better we all forget that happened. <laughs> but, like, there was but, just like, so yeah. much. It was so much. And, it like, some of it was just so stupid and ridiculous. You know? So, like, we've also yeah. grown up with the circus that is politics. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, someone asking me when I was a kid what I thought of Muslims, and I said, what, what is a Muslim? Mm-hmm. And I was like, because I didn't know. I was seven. <laughs> I live in a predominantly white Christian community. Like, who, who, who cares what a kid thinks about this? And, like, and I know they were just asking because my mom was brown. Yeah. But, like, what a weird question to ask a kid. Yeah, I mean, when I was a young, young child, I, like, thought, I had just assumed that all Indians were vegetarians because I was an Indian and I was a vegetarian. Like, kids don't know a lot. <laughs> My sister thought that once you became a mom, you went blind. Kids are dumb. <laughs> because that was her experience of the world. Her mom was blind. So Yep. She was never going to have kids because she didn't want to lose her vision. Like, that's a very <laughs> rational position to take. I will defend her, like, as a four-year-old believing this. Yeah. But, like, kids are dumb. Yeah. That's, you... Like, I... I ask kids very leading questions when I want to teach them something. I don't ask what they think about Muslims. I ask, like... So, like... What do you think about these mermaids I drew? Or like, hey, so your mom told me like you didn't want to play with kids that didn't look like you. Does that mean you don't want to play with me anymore? I do not ask them what they think of a religion they have no experience with. I'm sorry, I'm just remembering this happened now and I'm just getting angrier. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that adult was um, drinking the American propaganda Kool-Aid. Yeah. Uh, the Islamophobia Kool-Aid. And, th- yeah, that 
it's definitely a thing. Um, yeah, I just oh. like I think I think our generation and like kids younger than us are the first to automatically have a skepticism of adults because of like mm-hmm. political adults because we grew up with George W. Bush saying nuclear instead of nuclear and no unknowns, unknown knowns, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld circus <laughs> of like reasons yeah. to go to war, you know? Um, and like, because the news was on constantly in my house, because we were just like, my, my dad was very much like, we need to know what's happening. Um, like I just grew up seeing all of that BS and was yeah. like, well, I, mean, I, I naturally just have a skepticism towards like, I will never put a hundred percent of my faith into someone, you know, it's like, I don't need to believe it in, in you as a human being in order to support you. I just need to like agree with most of your politics and understand that you will vote the way I want you to vote. <coughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I grew up with watching, like, Fox News at dinner. Like, that yeah. was very much the household that my dad had. Like, Fox News was on all the time. Um, and I just kind of learned how to tune it out because I was just trying to do my homework so I didn't fail math. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, learn how to spell like geode because it doesn't like it's i was very focused on different things yeah like we were still going to school and trying to get good grades and stuff while all of this was happening Um, yeah but like i definitely know know that like my dad's gotten more radical in his conservative beliefs since then yeah. And, like, remember that shifting slowly over time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like... Um, that's... Oof. Yeah, Fox News was created in order to stop Democrats from doing things. So it's not surprising that if it's on every day and he's consuming that every day and has been for years and years and years, he grows more radical against progressive ideology. Yep. Yeah. It's just weird. But, like, politics was happening way before we remember it. The world, like, mm-hmm. has always been a weird mess of things, but... But I think... I don't remember most but of But I it. think the sensationalization of politics happened in our lifetimes, because Clinton was impeached when... I was, like, three years old, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, like, things got... Like, I I, I listened to this podcast called Slow Burn um, that's, mm-hmm. like, all about the Clinton impeachment and, like, has multiple perspectives and everything, and it's super fascinating. But, like, that was, like, the first sex scandal in decades, at least. And it was the biggest sex scandal of... Ever. I think, because it was a presidential sex scandal. Um, Yeah. 
And like, like I, I remember hearing about Monica Lewinsky, but no one would tell me what she did, only that she did something bad. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how you should explain that to children, I guess. Although I argue that he did something bad. He did something That's much a... worse than... Monica Lewinsky was a year younger than us. Ugh, this poor baby. Getting started in her career. Yep. And, like... Uh, that's rough. Yeah, and, like, back to what we were talking about before. Like, we grew like we grew up with, like... Or, like, in recent history, for us at least, and, like, we're still young, but um, we saw all of these massive stars on YouTube go down because of sexual harassment and other things. Um, and then, like, Bill Cosby, everyone's favorite, like, TV dad go down because of sexual harassment and then Harvey Weinstein and like the whole Me Too movement happened. So like looking back at Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky now looks extremely different. Yeah. Even though she does deny like, it 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 she does deny <clears throat> that it like she does say that everything was consensual. She still maintains that to yes. this day. So but like it just Yeah. Our view of it is very different than the 90s view of Monica Lewinsky and everything that happened with Bill Clinton. Yeah. I mean, the culture has shifted so, so much. Um, Like, and I think in part that's because people like us were probably radicalized by the Clinton impeachment and to talk about um, unhealthy relationship dynamics or to talk about you know the patriarchy and like how it sets up situations where arguably two people did something unethical but only one was blamed because of the gender dynamics Mm -hmm. and that's so incredibly different than what we're dealing with now this it would just be different if you were dealing with it now and i'm really glad that things are different now and we can talk openly about these problems without being the butt of a joke yeah yeah the fact that she's still the butt of the joke a lot of the time because people are just so used she she's just a part of our culture in that way now Mm -hmm. but at least it's different for people today like yeah. this shit shouldn't shouldn't like this shit should not be happening anymore like we should have progressed as a society to like not enable sexual harassment <laughs> but it does and at least yeah. at least in the last couple of years it's now starting to be taken seriously mm-hmm So do you want to talk about, like, teachers? Yeah, let's, let's talk about teachers. Um, personally, I had a lot of really great uh, teachers once I started public school that really gave me new views on the world and, like, taught me important things like how punctuation works. <laughs> <laughs> and that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. The, the vital parts of American education. Hey, punctuation is extremely important. I will say. I can't believe no one taught me until sixth grade. 
Yeah. Like, my parents did a bad job homeschooling me. Yeah. Um. I think, actually, I, I had one extremely good teacher in eighth grade that went through grammar very, very mm-hmm. well. And that's what really stuck with me. That and, like, I read so much that I just kind of got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, My seventh grade English teacher, Mr. French, is the only reason I can write. Yeah. Because he did such a good job teaching me, like, the mechanics of writing. Mm-hmm. And how to, like, properly structure a sentence to make it the thing easily communicated and able to be understood when it's read. Yeah. So, yeah, teachers, like, the most contact you have with adults other than your parents growing up is teachers. So, like, they shape you so much and in so many ways. And then, like, for me, when I saw injustice happening with them, that's the first time I realized that, like, politics isn't just national politics, media, circus, George Bush saying something ridiculous on TV. It was really personal, really real. And that really happened when um, in high school there was a teacher's strike and uh, because teachers in New Jersey weren't getting contracts like they weren't getting contracts they were being paid but they weren't getting contracts and there was no job security and it was really really bad and um Chris Christie was a terrible governor (laughs) um yeah and like they would and the thing about teachers is that they still wanted us to learn so they didn't strike during school hours they would still come in and teach us but before school and after school they would be outside with signs while everyone was on their way in when all the students were on their way in talking about how they weren't getting paid fairly and how they weren't getting contracts and um yeah yeah it was extremely important and yet they wouldn't talk about it in class because they technically weren't allowed to be political in class yeah. yeah, look, the teacher strike is a great intersection of both education and workers' rights and how those things are entangled. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my experience with this um, in education, one of my first real political experiences was with my local school board. Because mm-hmm. it goes way, way smaller because it wasn't on the state level with them not getting contracts. It was uh, the year after I graduated high school. Um, my school district decided to furlough a bunch of teachers because it was projected that there would be fewer students, uh, in the next few years. Um, in like 10 years from now, there would be fewer students. Oh, wow. Um, but this district was also dealing with budgetary concerns, but you can't furlough teachers over budgetary reasons as per their contract. So it was kind of a bullshit reason. Yeah. And I remember going up and speaking at their school board because I knew that it wasn't kids. It wasn't a kid like me that was going to suffer the most because of this. I was really lucky to have the teachers I had and I was funneled towards 
uh, AP classes where I had incredibly small class sizes. I had a class once with only two other students. Um, wow. It was going to be, yeah. Nobody wanted to take AP bio that year. And the year before that, there were like 11 kids in the class. Like, because I was labeled as advanced just out of sheer luck and curiosity and my ADHD making me brute force my way through problems when I was interested, <laughs> I was labeled as advanced. Um, and just because I was interested and intellectually curious. Yeah. Um, and I knew it wasn't going to be kids like me that would suffer the most. It was going to be students that were just in the regular classes, the majority of my high school, who, who were, might go from, uh, you know, 25-person classes to 30 person classes or 35 person classes because there weren't enough teachers to go around mm -hmm. um i mean there there just wouldn't be enough and i really liked my teachers i thought for the most part that my educational experience at that school district was pretty good and the teachers tried to teach us as much as they could and cared about us and wanted us to grow both as people and intellectually, and that was awesome. So finding out that they might have to lose their jobs, uh, including the one art teacher in the whole school for 7th to 12th grade. Oh my god. What would lose their jobs? Like, well, that's just not okay. Like, the teacher that deals with hundreds of students, and us having that program disappear wasn't okay. Um, yeah. And, like, no, nobody shows up to school board meetings, mm -hmm. if we're being honest. Yeah. Nobody really shows up to school board meetings. But it matters so much because, I mean, one of my little brothers is still in that school district. Mm -hmm. And he deserves a good education. Yeah. And the school board members are only a little bit annoyed by my existence <laughs> and how I bother them. Still, eight years after I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, like, fascinating how much school boards matter and how little mm -hmm. they're paid attention to. Um, my... my my town just had a, like, part of my ballot was uh, school board elections this year. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it like, it's wild how little people care about them. And, like, yeah. how far I had to search to find actual information on these candidates. I'm still trying to get some of these candidates to just get, like, a Facebook page. Yeah. Like... The ones I voted for had Facebook pages, um, and one of them was really awesome and was, like, talking about both national politics and, like, super, super local politics and things happening in the school and was super yeah. cool. Um, and also posted the minutes of the last school board meetings. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, she's awesome. But it's, like, some people will just vote based on, like, oh, that last name seems familiar. I think my kid went to school with their kid. Yeah, sure, I'll vote for them. 
it's a school yeah. board meeting. Most of the people running are parents, and yeah. you probably have met them before. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I hate to say it, but yeah, like, most of, of the people on the school board, the ones that I know and are still find, like, easy to talk to are just my friend's parents. Mm-hmm. Like... I was like, oh, I've babysat, like, your younger kids, and I've, like, eaten dinner at your house. Or, like, oh, you taught me how to use chopsticks once. Like, <laughs> or, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I tutored your kid in math. Like, that's how I have these relationships. Yeah. It's not, like, they're not intimidating people. They're just they're parents just people. who mm-hmm. are doing their best for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I might disagree with them, but I'm trying. And they're trying. Yeah. And they're also the people who are most likely to listen to you because they know that you are a part of their community. And that you care just as much as they do. Um, Yeah. Speaking of the school board, um, I kind of want to talk about my GSA and stuff. Because that was, like, huge for me. Getting into politics was uh, clubs in my high school. Um, And prior to the two years I was in the Gay Straight Alliance, it wasn't called the Gay Straight Alliance. It was called Spectrum because the school board didn't want us to have the word gay in a club name. (laughs) Because of course it was. Um, And like one of the things I did as part of the GSA was um, argue about the uh, health curriculum and that was really big for me because um, in our health curriculum in high school the only time gay people are mentioned not there there's there was zero mention of trans people or lesbians or anyone other than gay men um, but it was only when uh, AIDS was brought up as a sexually transmitted disease <laughs> and that was it So, um, a really big thing for me was, like, trying, and failing, but trying to get, um, some more, uh, sexual health care, uh, in the curriculum that was not just about straight people. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm still working on that for my school. Yeah. Um, my school still doesn't have a GSA. Mm Mm-hmm. My old high school. It was incredibly homophobic to the point that um, most of the people I was friends with in high school have come out as queer now. Yeah. Um, like, all of us. We were just all afraid to in high school because we knew we would have been, like, punished not formally by the district, but informally by bullying or having teachers maybe not address us by the correct names or pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh at best, now we have a non-discrimination policy against sexual orientation uh, discrimination mm-hmm. uh, for gay and bisexual and lesbian students. Um, but we don't have anything with gender identity or expression or have a <laughs> policy for trans kids, even though just within my year, within my graduating class, there were multiple trans people. I only graduated with 100 kids. <laughs> like... And we still don't have a trans policy this far on. Like, there are kids going through it now, and they need help. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, hang on. I'm looking at my district's website right now My for high school school board. 
and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like trying to find anything about bullying or anything. I know we have a bullying policy somewhere, but Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The only reason that there is a um non discrimination on sexual orientation thing is because it's technically part of the bullying policy. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. It. Um but yeah. We had so like my area is pretty conservative. Um, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many Trump Pence signs I pass by every time I leave the house. It's ridiculous. <sighs> um, but despite <clears throat> that, our school was like pretty socially liberal. It was mm-hmm. because um, it was just strange because we had like extremely extremely conservative kids um but then we also had you know what it was it was mm-hmm. it was coach z like he was he and like two other teachers coach z is like what i call him but he was uh an english teacher he was uh one of the co like sponsor teachers of the gay straight alliance and he was my tennis coach so like he's like he was like one of my best friends in high school um, because I was a nerd. But he and like a couple of other teachers were progressive and created welcoming spaces for us, um, even though I didn't know I was queer at the time. Um, like he they created spaces where we could talk about anything and discuss politics with the teacher also and like have informed opinions and um yeah, that was, it was very important to have those, like, two or three teachers that had, like, not just liberal views and were, like, fairly clear about it for high school teachers, but, like, were willing to engage in discussions in a way that didn't feel like someone was attacking you, you know? Yeah. That was super important. And, like, it was just two or three teachers, but those two or three teachers made my high school experience good. Yeah. Like, I'm willing to bet uh, if I talk to any of my high school teachers, like, now, mm-hmm. um, and, like, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm bisexual and non-binary. Like, I think there are definitely two that wouldn't at all be surprised yeah. and would be incredibly accepting and immediately start using they-them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there are several that I think I would have to explain it to. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, those two teachers that would get it, like, if you were in high school today and you had those two teachers, would probably just help you so much just by being there for you. Yeah. And having your back. Which is extremely important. But yeah, Coach Z <coughs> was not afraid to talk about politics and um, challenge our political views. Like, he didn't explicitly say how left-wing he was, although I'm pretty sure he's a socialist. Um, <laughs> but um, he did challenge our worldviews because we are in a very conservative area. And, like, our high school's district is conservative, you know? Um, and he was willing to See, have that conversation. See, one of my teachers ran. Yeah. Um, one of one of my teachers actually ran for county council while I was in high school, mm-hmm. so I knew 
all of his political views. <laughs> I love that. So he didn't have to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. That's how I know. It's like, there is definitely one teacher that would have had my back if I had the language to come out then. Yeah. And it was him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, like, Coach C would have had my back. I mean, he was, like, one of my best friends in the first place, but he would have had my back completely. Um, if I, like, knew anything about myself at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, that... That was, like, part of it. And also, gay marriage wasn't a thing when we were in high school. That was still something we were fighting for. So that was, like, huge at the time. Yeah, I think maybe, like, a few states had, like, made same-sex marriage legal by then. Yeah, so, uh... Well, we... During high school? New York made it legal... A little, like when we were in the middle of high school at some time. Um, Massachusetts, 2004, that I know. Um, do you know how I remember that New York had it was had legalized gay marriage? Mm-hmm. There's a Taylor Swift song called Welcome to New York. <laughs> and in it, she says, you can want who you want, boys and boys and girls and girls. And I know when that song was released. So I know that before that. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, gay marriage was legal. Um, yeah. But it was like... It was like late high school. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of things were happening when we were in high school. Yeah. Um, like, I remember Proposition 8 in California happening. Yeah, the like, whole no-hate campaign. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that, like, very vividly, but I don't remember knowing what it was about back then. I remember... I just remember seeing I remember stuff. knowing it was ag- about gay rights, and that was about yeah. it. But also... Oh, my God. I was, um, I was pretty sure it was about bullying, I think, when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, high school was when Glee came out, too. And that was a huge thing oh. for me. <laughs> you know what, maybe? Oh. So Glee definitely informed some of my politics, yeah. but I look back and I am, like, embarrassed of it. I am... Yeah, yeah. Um, I can talk for days about Glee and, like, why why it was helpful at the time and why it is terrible now. But um, <laughs> it really was helpful at the time. It... It genuinely was. Mm-hmm. And I'm also embarrassed by that. But, like, because it was such a cultural phenomenon, like, and they had explicitly gay characters. I like, know. that representation was huge. And, like, we all knew it was huge, even though um, we, like, yeah, we all knew it was huge. And we all knew that it was, like, the start of a cultural shift. Yeah, like, to a certain extent, I was still young enough that the fact that it existed and that, like, there were explicitly gay characters didn't feel like a big deal because of, like, oh, yeah, gay people exist. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been, like, saturated in the media enough for it to be like, oh, this is a big deal because there aren't other gay kids anywhere on TV. Yeah. So, like, that was a huge, huge moment. Mm -hmm. And I only get that looking back now. Yeah, I was I was just super super into Glee, um, 
And because of that, and because I participated in that fandom so much, I, and like, because that, that show so frequently reflected what was happening in real life, like in the news and in the world, um, or at least in America, like, yeah, I, that like gave me a different, I wouldn't say a different perspective, but it really deepened my um, interest in domestic politics and like specifically social issues. And also funding for the arts. (laughs) Yep. I mean, that's certainly a fight. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of like my my high school experience was Model UN Mm -hmm. because um, Mm -hmm. I was super, super into Model United Nations. And like I was always somewhat interested in international politics because, um, I mean, both of my parents uh, came to the United States when they were like in their late teens and 20s um, and grew up in India and like just because like my grandparents live in India and stuff like I want I like wanted to pay attention to what was going on there but um like Model UN made me go just beyond my own life and understand how massive things are (laughs) and like how individual companies need to look out for their own self-interests in addition to trying to help the world um, and all of that. And yeah, it it just made me extremely interested in international politics and international relations and makes me want to pay attention to that, even though it's very easy to get swept up in domestic politics, especially in the United States. Um, And yeah, it made me understand also how like why it's so important that the U.S. makes decisions. Like when we left the Paris Accords recently, I was like, that's huge. Because leaving the Paris Climate Agreement gives way for everyone else to do whatever the hell they want in terms of climate. And it was, like, a non-binding agreement, so we basically all were doing whatever the hell we wanted, yeah. regardless. We could have kept on. Yeah, I mean, like, the UN has no enforcement, you know? They're just agreements. They're just diplomacy. The whole, like, it's a construct, you know? But it's a construct that if everyone agrees, is, like, really powerful. If everyone agrees to follow yeah, like, those rules that are made up and don't mean anything and aren't enforceable. If everyone agrees to do it, it's still legitimate, you know? Yeah, like, money is a social construct, too, and yeah. we all agree that it has value and that we want it. Yeah, so, like, just choosing to not follow those rules and choosing to not just not follow those rules, but, like, have your still have your name down, but choosing to openly leave those... Uh, agreements is just it's it's destroying the world order (laughs) like i know that sounds like apocalyptic but it is (laughs) and i have a lot of feelings about how uh 
like the UN works and um, the fact that like there are big five countries, including the US and Russia, and then there's everyone else and how they're treated differently and how they have bigger votes and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's still yeah. huge. It matters a lot to me. And I wouldn't have cared if I hadn't joined Model UN and done that. Yeah. Which I think, like, we're really lucky to have had such great formative experiences in our youth. Yeah. Um, like, I wish I had been able to do more and see more, but, like... Yeah, I still feel like I didn't political. do enough. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but we're also, like, definitely overtly political now because of what we did and are still, like, growing into that. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we're, we're relatively young. Yeah. We're young-ish. Yeah. I mean, my back would disagree, but. <laughs> we are chronologically young-ish. <laughs> we're not, we're not done. We are in a process. And, mm -hmm. like, I think the big difference now is that I've shifted from, like, figuring out myself to figuring out how to make things better for the next generation. Yeah, I think for us um, now, it's not about figuring out what we believe. It's about taking what we believe and applying that and making changes yeah. to make the world fit our beliefs, which is mostly just, like, human rights and, like, people shouldn't starve and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah um like for me a big moment in my life was just a few years ago mm -hmm. um because i was you know vaguely involved in like black lives matter but as an asian woman i was by no means leading the charge yeah um but was just trying to use what positions i had to help amplify that mm -hmm. um but uh, my younger brother is black and Asian, and uh, we were hanging out, uh, me, uh, my brother Zach, who was nine at the time, and my nephew Alex, who was 11, mm -hmm. um, and we, and they were talking about what it would be like to be tasered by the police, because they liked the idea of being tasered. I think it was like a boy thing, I, I don't really understand I mean, it. I grew up with friends with like a lot of boys and yeah yeah that's a boy thing <laughs> yeah like they were just curious about what it would be like to be tasered and i was like well this is a dumb conversation but because i don't tell children when i think that their conversations are pointless mm -hmm. as a rule um i told them that you know if the police if anyone ever tasers you call me and then call the police if the police taser you just call me <laughs> And then, like, your parents. But call me first. Yeah. Like, low-key. Yeah. I've met my mom. My brother should call me first. Mm -hmm. um, and my brother, who nine years old, black, Asian, told me that the police would just never taser him. They would shoot. At nine years old, he was firmly believed that he said it so nonchalantly. Like, yeah. he had already accepted this as a reality. Yeah. And, like, a thing that he's worried about. And, like, he's scared of getting shot in school because... There are so many school shootings and so many th shootings happening 
in our communities that he just doesn't feel safe in schools anymore mm-hmm. because there's a new school shooting every two fucking weeks. And now he's, and he's worried about being shot by the police because he looks black and he knows that that can be a problem. That's so sad. So all of my political action is making things safer for the next generation. It's making sure that um, if my brother finds out he's queer, that he will have a school district and a school that supports him mm-hmm. to make sure that he doesn't get shot in school by advocating for gun policy. Uh, to making sure the police don't shoot him by defunding the police because why does every single police department have, like, military-level equipment? That's super weird. That's so expensive and so weird. Well, like, I, I did the part, the thing that I was supposed to do growing up. I, you know, I got good grades, and I figured out who I was, and now we're figuring out how to apply who we are into what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're gonna make things better. We're gonna try. We're gonna do everything right. we can. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, my brother will be uh, my age, and he will have figured out who he is as a person, and uh, we'll learn how to make things better for the kids who aren't born yet, who are just now, like, who will live in a very different world than us, I hope. Yeah. And be able to make things better. Yeah, like, talking about all this right now and, like, looking back at everything that's happened in our lifetimes, 25 years from now, we'll be, we'll be 50 years old, oh my god. But, um, mm. also the world is going to look extremely different. But we want to make it so that that different is a good different, not a bad different. And um, on that note, let's talk about how we can act this week. Yeah. The last week. One more week. It'll be, it's six days till election day when you listen to this. So close. If you haven't voted yet, please vote if you can. If you can't vote, if you're not a U.S. citizen, if you're not registered, if you're too young, please tell someone who can to vote. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said about helping people make their plans to vote. Uh, making sure that people are informed, mm-hmm. that they're ready to not vote not just for the presidency, but for all down-ballot races. And, you know, feel prepared yeah. and ready to do it. Um, as of Friday, October 23rd, which is the last available data from when we are speaking on Sunday, October 25th. As of the 23rd, more than 51 million people have voted early, either in person or by mail. And that is amazing. That is, the country has cast 37% of the total votes counted in the 2016 general election. Mm-hmm. We are off to a strong start. Wow. But we're not done yet. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you're going to vote in person, whether you're voting early or on election day on November 3rd, um, 
please make sure you're prepared to wait in lines if you are in an area that is uh, primarily Black or Latino because um, voter suppression is real and they will make you wait on long lines on purpose. However, don't leave the line. Even after polls close, if you're in line, you're allowed to vote. Yep, yep. So. I would bring a fully charged phone, bring a portable charger if you have mm-hmm. it, uh, download an audiobook, maybe. I It could be fun. Watch a movie. Bring a snack. Yeah, bring snacks. Oh my yeah. god. Snacks are so important. Get a full water bottle. If it's cold, make sure you have a coat. If it's going to be cold later, like four hours from now, make sure you have a coat. You never know. You don't know what the lines are going to look like until you get there. Yeah. And um, if you have already voted or you're in an area where, like, voting takes five minutes, um, send $5 or so to Pizza to the Polls, which is an excellent organization that... um, literally does what it says on the tin they uh bring pizza to places where there are long lines um and this year they're also doing food trucks in areas uh Mm. that have uh huge populations and those food trucks and that pizza is free for people so free food go vote and get free food yeah like make sure and if you have like There are also people, like, setting up PPE stations in your early voting locations. And, like, there are so many ways that you personally can help if you're able to. Mm -hmm. You can drive Um, someone to vote if you have a car. Like, yeah. There's options. Talk to, like, people around you and find out how you can help. Talk about people running for office locally and find out how you can help. Because... It's not too late to get involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this next week is critical. It's the only week we have left. (sighs) Sure is. Yeah. Oh my god. It's been a long election cycle, Katrina. You know better than most because you were actually part of the process. You were in it for a while there. And you're still in it, but like... I'm still, yeah, in, you're still it, in it, but, but like a year ago, I was just knitting Harry Potter scarves in Iowa for like my team for the Julian Castro campaign. Cause these fools from Texas moved to Iowa with no winter <laughs> gear. I'm still mad at them. How are they supposed to know? <laughs> Like, one at least went to school in Chicago and was like, yeah, I was going to visit my parents to get my winter stuff, and then I didn't. (laughs) But, like, come on. They went to school in Chicago and didn't bring winter stuff? They started in the summer. Okay. And they were planning to go back before, like, school started again. Mm -hmm. But then they ended up taking a semester off (laughs) to finish out the caucus, and I... (laughs) He's one of my best friends with Jesse. Oh my god, you idiot. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. I don't know you, Jesse. <laughs> you would really like him. He's cool. <laughs> also, his parents own a restaurant in Galveston, Texas. And, like, I didn't know that when I first met him, but he kept bringing in really, like, good lunches. And I was like, 
Oh, so you know how to make food. That's impressive <laughs> at 21. Okay, so he, he knew how to make food and you knew how to make winter gear. It works. <laughs> we balanced it out. <laughs> um, um, on that note, one other thing you can do for us, please do this for us. Take care of yourself. Yes. Do a self-care thing. Um, actually, one of my self-care things is has been crocheting and making things for others um, and making winter gear. So uh, that was a good segue. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, even if it's just watching Real Housewives or something like I know I trashed the Jersey Shore earlier in this episode, but um if that's what brings you joy right now, watch old episodes of the Jersey Shore. Like, give yourself a break. Yeah, like, if if you want to watch cartoons and, like, relax, do that. Yeah. But, like, also make sure you're eating three meals a day and drinking enough water and go outside if the weather is nice for maybe the last time this year. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to get another sunny day. Mm-hmm. We might not. It is really dark outside, which is my why oh. you're seeing like just like darkness from me right now. Oh yeah, the uh, the sky outside is very gray. Mm-hmm. That is how I would describe the world right now. I don't know. Could be brightness in the future though. Yeah. Like have hope too don't be completely pessimistic that's part of self-care too constantly putting down constantly being angry and sad and upset feel those things yes but also have hope that things are going to get better because it's only with hope that you can then take action and do good things oh yeah i um wouldn't be doing the job that i have if i didn't think we could win Mm mm-hmm I also wouldn't be doing the job I have if I thought, if I didn't think we could lose. So, like, there's a nice balance there. Yeah. Like, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Right? Yep. Yeah. And we have done everything um, we can to work towards the best possible outcome. You know? Yeah. And, look, we, we need to take care of yourself now because we don't know um what the election results are gonna be and we're not gonna know next week when we record either Mm -hmm. on november 1st nope um and we probably won't know when the next episode comes out either because it might take a while to count all of the uh ballots but we do know that there's still gonna be work to do yeah um there's there's gonna be other fights there's gonna be a lot of the same fights yeah, what's that? Uh, no matter what What's happens. that Sorkinism? Like, do the next good thing? Or the next right thing? Yeah, yeah. I think... And that's in Frozen 2. Is that Frozen 2? I understand that. It might be Frozen... It might be Sorkin 2. It might know? be Sorkin, it might be Frozen 2. It's just genuinely good it's advice. good advice. There's, there's always something good to do. And there's always something good to do that will make you feel better about the world. Even if that good thing is just feeding yourself. 
because that's really important. Please do that. And others. Yeah. And yeah, we talked earlier about how, um, like, doing that small thing of, like, doing a sock drive or feeding uh, the homeless at a soup kitchen. Like, those are really important small things that are really good and really important. I was like, I knew I was going somewhere with that. Where was I going? Yeah. <laughs> there is, there's always work to do. Mm -hmm. And there's space where you can get involved in your community and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I know, like, quantifiably, my work as a data organizer makes a difference, even though I'm mostly doing math and working in spreadsheets. Yeah. But I don't think that the work that I do is more valuable than the people that, like, do after-school tutoring for kids or um, ensure that there are enough places for the homeless to be in the winter and places and shelter for them. Like, all of it is just a piece of the puzzle and you need to find where you fit. Yeah. Okay, so should we talk about some good things? Yeah, you know what? Now's a great time to go into good things. Yeah. What uh, What's your good thing? So my good thing is um, something that I saw on the internet last night, and it is that the American Public Health Association... Uh, it's that the American Public Health Association passed a <coughs> statement naming carceral systems as a public health issue and recommended moving towards abolition and building just and equitable systems instead of carceral ones. Um, I read through the paper at like one in the morning last night and it was amazing. Um, as I said before, I am a nerd. Um, it was, it, they gave, what they did in this paper um, was not just give solutions that aren't, uh, prison-based um, for crime. Mm -hmm. They also took arguments against a non-carceral system and debunked them and talked about why nice. they don't work and why community-based uh, solutions towards crime and harming others works. It's an incredible paper. I highly recommend you read it. Um, I'm going to tweet it on the pod account uh, soon. Nice. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing that the American Public Health Association is talking about this. Like, abolitionists yeah. have been working towards this for so many years. And, um, yeah, this was primarily in, in response to uh, the coronavirus and everything happening um, in prison systems. But um, it's still <coughs> happening. And it's amazing. It's a shame that it had to come to this, but it's amazing that it's happening. Yeah, it's it's nice to have more institutional support mm -hmm. uh, backing this. Yeah. Um. So my good news is a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think the Trump administration might have done a good thing. <laughs> So the U.S. government is suing Google. <laughs> the Department of Justice is alleging that Google has stifled competition to maintain their position as the place for 
online searches and search advertising, or as everyone else calls it, Googling things. Mm -hmm. And this is the largest antitrust case against a tech company in more than two decades, because like in the late 90s, the government sued Microsoft for having Internet Explorer pre-installed on their computers. Mm-hmm. That that was the last time we did an antitrust case against a tech company. It's been a long time. Yeah. And we've discussed before on the pod about, like, antitrust stuff and why monopolies are bad um, and why massive corporations owning the majority of the market share of a product is a bad thing. Um, and it's definitely a good thing that... Uh, the DOJ is trying to uh, sue Google for this. Yeah, like, I, I have my problems um, with the Trump administration, mm -hmm. but, like, okay, they, they did a good thing. They're doing a good thing. Yeah. Um, it should be noted that, okay, so I'm just Google. I Googled this. Well, no, I ecosied it. Um <laughs> I went on Ecosia to do this. Um, okay, so the de the Department of Justice is headed by the Attorney General, who is nominated mm -hmm. by the President and confirmed by the Senate and is a member of the Cabinet. So technically, Trump administration. And the AG is William Barr. But it is meant to act like in a nonpartisan, nonpolitical manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Meant to. Mm -hmm. Not always, not always doing that, but, um... There, there are some policies that are questionable. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But, yeah, like, the Department of Justice is mostly career public servants, mm -hmm. um, that have last through multiple administrations, multiple parties being in charge, um... And yeah, this is a this is a good thing because I think if if we were to argue that any company um, has made it nearly impossible to break into uh, online searching and uh, online advertisements, it would be Google. It would be Google. Yeah, Google runs the internet for the most part. Like, I think that's safe to say. I'm, yeah. I, uh, I have just, let, let, let's go over what we're doing right now. So we are recording a podcast, mm -hmm. uh, on a Google Meet, yep. uh, while looking at our outline, which is in a Google Doc, mm -hmm. because we have, uh, a shared Google Drive folder, as well as a shared Google account for the podcast itself. Yeah. As well as being, uh, YouTubers. Mm-hmm. We have built a platform that is owned by on a plat. We have built an audience on a platform that is owned by Google. Correct. Google kind of touches the whole thing of our and lives. every single advertisement you see. Well, neither of us. Really, I'm not you. Yeah, we don't have ads on our channels because we're not making money off of YouTube. Or do we still have ads? But so, I. You know, regardless, please subscribe to YouTube.com slash Katrina Ames and YouTube.com slash Firebird Sparkler 
feel free to watch all of our videos with the sound off. I just go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Give us that sweet, sweet watch time so we get that sweet, sweet ad money from Google because Google controls most of the ads on the internet. Yep. Yeah. Which is why I say Google runs the internet. It's because of the advertising, which is what makes money on the internet. Yeah. Inclu- and plus all yeah. the products that everyone uses because they are free and easy to use and impossible to compete with. Yeah. Which is why there's an antitrust lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's right. So earlier <laughs> we uh, Googled or rather searched uh, for some mango facts. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's, uh, let's wrap up this podcast. Yeah. Um, did I lose the mango fact? I lost the mango fact. Oh no. Um, what was a mango fact? No, frozen mangoes? Yes, frozen mangoes. Hang on, let me search my history. mango search okay oh oh shit what a boston ballot drop box in copley square was set on fire early this morning 122 ballots were inside the box and 87 are still able to be processed fuck Oh my god. Okay, so that news dropped while we were recording, and I'm gonna leave it in, but, um... If you were one of the, um, 40 or so people affected, you will be mailed a replacement ballot by the city or can vote in person. But, oh my god! That's terrifying. That is, that is some um, voter intimidation, suppression, violence. I don't really know what to label it. It's definitely arson. <laughs> definitely arson. Ugh. Well. Should we talk about them? So frozen mangoes. Frozen mangoes. <laughs> let's 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 move on. Um, because that's that is all of the information about the story right now. Yeah. So let's talk about frozen yeah. That's mangoes. still a developing story. I'm sure there will be more information after this, after we finish recording. Um. So, uh, did you know that a national mango board exists? I learned about it today! (laughs) So today we've learned that a national mango board exists for the United States of America, and um, that they have chosen to exclude frozen mangoes from their promotion. Um, A majority of importers of the frozen fruit, so of frozen mangoes, have rejected participation in the board. So, um, frozen mango vendors and importers don't want to be part of regular mango stuff they want their own thing i guess 83 <coughs> percent of frozen mango importers were against their continued participation in the national mango board 
And look, it's this is just like a trade association, but like also, what did the National Mango Board do that everyone nofed out of it? And also, how are we not involved in the yeah, National I Mango Yeah, I mean, board? I'm just shocked that there's a National Mango Board and it's not us. Yeah. Um, according to their About Us, the National Mango Board is a national industry-funded agriculture promotion group that focuses on the promotion and research for U.S. and imported fresh mangoes. The mission is to c- increase consumption of fresh mangoes in the United States. Notice that they do not la- list frozen anymore. Mm-mm. Only fresh. Fresh mangoes in the United States. <laughs> By inspiring consumers and educating them about the culture, flavor, and nutrition of mangoes. We totally do Good. all of that. Yeah, how is this not us? It's not... Have we discussed frozen mangoes on this podcast on this year podcast i don't think so um i mean we'll get to it eventually i'm sure because uh, but um yeah uh national mango board hit us up sponsor this podcast i we're the perfect yeah. fit <laughs> I mean, I know we do it for free already, but, like, pay us. <laughs> yeah. Give us some money. We encourage people to eat fresh mangoes. <laughs> or if, the, uh, it's if, or if there's a national frozen mango board, we're willing to pivot. <laughs> we can be bought either way as long as it involves mangoes. I am also willing to be paid in mangoes, just to make it clear. Money would be great, <laughs> but if you pay me on mangoes, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, about I'm not going to say no to mangoes. Are you kidding? Um, if there's like a national lychee board or something, like hit us up too. Mm. <laughs> you get us that fruit, that sweet, sweet fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of really how and why we got into politics. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, you can find me at Katrina Ames on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Twitch. Where can we find you, Norali? Um, You can find me at Firewood Sparkler on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, and you can also find both of us on Patreon at patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. Patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. And uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been the On Your Left podcast episode about our personal political journeys. Yeah, it was a fun episode. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, I'm going to stop.